Tuesday, November 15th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and for Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Thanks, Chris. Uh, we are going to step back from the day's news for a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked. Uh, we've done this before with a slightly different name, but basically it's a chance to talk about a couple of stocks you think are undervalued, a couple that are overvalued, and then a couple of stories that the financial media might be overlooking and what it could mean for investors. Uh, Joe Mager, I'm going to start with you. Your undervalued stock. What do you got? I got Home Depot, which actually reported today, and they had some great results as they have been for a while. I think it was 10 straight quarter where I was they beat say, lows yeah, on 10, comps. Yeah. And really, the way they did it was just getting back to basics. Uh, Bob Nardelli led them completely astray in many respects, but they recentered around. He had around. a talent for that. He really did. And I'm sure that some sucker firm will end up hiring him again. I wonder who it'll be. And it'll this, be great fodder. This is the former CEO who got some astronomical uh, severance package, right? Yes. Yes. What actually did him in at the end, and it's the funniest thing, he didn't show up to the shareholders meeting, and then he didn't take questions. And that was somehow just like the tipping point. It wasn't that he'd crushed the company or completely screwed it up or severance. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, Frank Blake and team has done a great job of recentering around customer service and being a retailer. And as simple as that sounds, that was enough to really boost comps, boost margins, and stock's done really well. And I think that as housing eventually comes back into play, it should do nicely. Uh, we talked yesterday about uh, Warren Buffett's comments uh, on CNBC uh, that uh, whereas previously Buffett had said, "Oh yeah, housing's going to make a turnaround." He backed off that yesterday and basically said it's not coming anytime soon. Do you think that is factoring into the valuation of Home Depot's stock? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you look at Home Depot and Lowe's, they both look reasonably valued, even if you don't bake in some sort of big turnaround in housing. So, the way I think of it is you're getting Home Depot right now, which is executing nicely. They just raised their dividend 16%. Uh, comps have been improving, been gaining share, improving margins. And all this is happening in the backdrop of you know a terrible economy, and especially in their line of business. So basically, you just buy it, hold it, and eventually, when that turns, you should do again very well. Bill Barker, your undervalued stock. Uh, my undervalued stock is WellPoint, uh, the leading uh, in insurer, healthcare insurer in, in the country. Really, you could look at almost any of the major healthcare insurers and find uh, low valuations. So it's not going out on a limb. WellPoint is a, a company stock that we've owned in the, the Motley Fool asset management funds uh, for you know since inception for uh, both Great America uh, and and Independence. So you know we've we've disclosed our interest in it for a long time. It's, it's suffered as a stock uh, through doubts about where healthcare is going. Uh, government is uh, cutting back, uh, going to be cutting back. At some point uh, in the near future, I think on its on its purchase of, of healthcare and the uh, new regulations are a potential problem. Uh, but the company has it just throws off enormous amounts of cash. It's taking all that cash and basically buying back its own shares, which you know is is not always the best thing for mm -hmm. for a company if they don't have uh, any other uh, possibilities. But it's not trying to grow uh, where there isn't growth available right now, and it's paying a, started paying a dividend. It's available for about eight or nine times earnings, and over time, a company that is going uh, 
at those levels and continuing to execute is, is going to make money for, for shareholders. Yeah, yeah, just to piggyback on that, yeah. it's a recommendation inside value for basically all the same reasons. Um, so, Bill, you mentioned um, the healthcare industry in general. I mean, when you look at companies like uh, United Health, HCA, Aetna, even, even factoring in potentially low valuations for them, you still feel like WellPoint is, uh, is the, the best play here? Well, I, I, it's one that we've owned and one that we're the most comfortable with. I, I, I wouldn't say that you know at every single point over the last two and a half years, yep. you know, it's the lowest every value minute. one. You know, <laughs> every day, we're not trying to trade in and out of you know the one that's marginally uh, more yep. uh, affordable day by day. So it, it, you could anyone that you study and are comfortable with uh, WellPoint. At last, you know, about a year and a half ago, was going through a lot of bad headline stuff. Uh, they they tripped over, uh, you know, a big headline where it seemed like uh, they were trying to uh, cut back on their insurance of uh, uh, breast cancer victims, and they got terrible press for that, and the, the stock became that much more affordable. And so things like that will come up, company specific for any of these companies, and you know, you can take advantage of that because they're. They're going to be around. Uh, let's move over to the overvalued stocks. Uh, Joe Mager, what do you got? I'm going to go with LinkedIn. It's one of my favorite whipping boys. Uh, <laughs> it is ridiculously valued at about 16 and a half times sales. Not surprisingly, insiders are dumping shares uh, in mass, and I think they will continue to for a long time uh, because it's ridiculously priced. I would be dumping them like crazy too. Uh, you know, for perspective, Google is selling for about six times sales. So sixteen six, and Google is a proven commodity that's hugely profitable and has a lot of different, you know, potential futures and one towering strength in search. So, you know, I I look at those and I definitely, if I had to choose, I'd probably go with the one that isn't insanely valued. <laughs> um, we've talked about the internet IPOs of twenty eleven before. Um, is LinkedIn more overvalued in your estimation than you know the Pandoras and Zillows of the world? Well, they're all ridiculously priced. I, I think there is a there there with LinkedIn. I think it does offer a real product that people use. What is know. that exactly? <laughs> it's uh, you know the thing with the what? No, I, <laughs> I do think there is an opportunity there in terms of. I think they've locked down the social space for career networking. I don't think it's something that you can monetize well, and they're trying to make it more engaging by getting people to come back daily. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know about you guys. I'm not job shopping <laughs> quite like that. And I know a lot of people are, but that's uh, this is not the right platform for social. And it's not going to be a Facebook. And they're trying to position it as a Facebook, uh, both at the member or user experience and also, you know, valuation-wise. I just don't think it's going to live up to the valuation. Are you on LinkedIn, Bill? No, no. Despite the, the you know blitz of invitations that I got right before they went public, there really seemed to be a oh, yeah. concerted effort. Uh, the full-court press was on. Full-court press to get as many people signed up right before to, to show growth. I mean, the attempt to not be cynical all the way through this answer, <laughs> uh, that makes sense to show some growth right you know, as, as you're going uh, public. And they have been growing. Uh, I, I know people who are on it, and I guess they use it for something. I guess I, 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 for career stuff. I guess, but but I don't I don't know exactly how. All right, what is your 
overvalued stock. Well, I'm going after, as as you know, because you forced me to give you this information before showing up here. Yeah. Uh, your your homeboy, Duncan Brands. Uh, I love Duncan Brands. We all love Duncan Brands. <laughs> and, and apparently, uh, the investors uh, love Duncan Brands because it's at a, a rather... Uh, astronomical uh, valuation, uh, nearly uh, 50 times uh, earnings. Uh, this is a, a com- 50 times earnings? It's that high? Yeah. That's well, kind of my. Coffee's good, Chris. That's kind of my, well, I didn't it, think it was that. I mean, I knew it was. Yeah. I knew it was high. I didn't think it was that high. Yeah. So, I mean, it, that's that's where it is. And and it's, you know, it's a recent IPO. It's not, not super recent, but it's still living off some of that excitement. And, but, uh, you know, it, it's on the wrong side of a couple of trends that uh, being you know healthier foods uh, and with donuts you can you pretend that there's a, a healthier version of a donut but nobody wants to eat that nobody wants to eat that. and you know uh, now the coffee as you and I know because we we trade you know emails every time there's a new study out about how healthy it is right. to drink enormous amounts of coffee which I'm going to help myself to right now <laughs> delicious <laughs> And and Duncan Brands is on the right side of that one because you can't drink too much coffee, as far as we have uh, our research shows. Exactly, you know, the more coffee you drink, the better. Uh, but still, all the coffee names: uh, Starbucks, uh, uh, Green Mountain, of course. Pete's. I mean, it's been a great year until recently with Green Mountain to be in coffee. I think Duncan Brands is drafting off some of that, but. You know, it's it's not worth fifty times earnings. He's, I'm gonna have a okay. gonna have a soapbox moment for a second, if that's okay. Okay. So, all these IPOs that we've been talking about here, they're all benefiting from the same approach. It was called a low float IPO, and so basically, what's happening is these companies are going public, and they're only selling slivers of the company and selling that publicly. So it's creating this big imbalance. Gr- Groupon was what, 5% they Yeah, said? it's grotesque. And the reason they do it, it's twofold. It's to create this crazy amount of demand that's pent up to buy into the stock. Uh, but two, it juices the price, artificially so, and it gives insiders, just like we're seeing at LinkedIn, the opportunity to come back later and dump more shares at a higher valuation. And there's a third latent thing there, which is it gives investment banks an opportunity to do follow-on offerings where they make more fees. So the whole thing is just completely rigged against the individual investor. And I would just say, be patient with these IPOs, especially the low-flow ones. Just to return to Duncan Brands, because... Um, because uh, uh, you do love it. I love you're it. You're going to come to its defense. I don't. No matter how pricey it is, you're buying the stock. That's I do, what no, I hear no, you no. saying. I don't own shares, but it is one of those companies that I have such an affinity for, I would like to be a shareholder at some point, is... What is that point? Is it when they can demonstrate uh, a reasonable amount of growth? If they can execute growth in the western half of the United States in, over the next couple of years, is is that um, is I, that I, really the sign that investors like me or potential investors like me should be looking? I for? I don't think they're they're doing anything wrong. You know, as as a company, it, it's just there's a value where it makes sense to put your money into a company, and there's a value that, that it doesn't. And I don't I don't know exactly why. This much excitement is continuing to uh, surround Duncan Brands. It's, it's a good company, and I enjoy its products, even the unhealthy ones myself. But it, it's it's 
you know, there's there's a time and a place for everything. You asked us for overvalued, it's overvalued. <laughs> um, before we get to the overlooked uh, part of this podcast, I should take an opportunity to mention FoolTV.com, uh, where we're... Uh, I now, haven't heard of this. We're now showing video highlights uh, of Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money. And so, for example, for people who are listening to this podcast, um, if they actually want to see Bill Barker Drink the coffee as he did, because Joe and I saw it because we're sitting here. But you that's going to be on Sports Center tonight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not on Sports Center, but it will be. On, just go to www.fooltv.com. You can check out video highlights, uh, or it's a URL to avoid altogether. As we've gotten a couple of emails, nice emails saying, "I listen all the time. I have no interest in seeing you whatsoever." Yeah, my drinking coffee has got to be the worst sales pitch that you could possibly <laughs> come up with. With that, let's move on to uh, sort of overlooked. Obviously, you know we've got CNBC on in our office all the time, um, but there's only so much the financial media can cover. So I'm curious uh, about a story that you think is being overlooked by the fa- financial media and what the opportunity for investors might be. Joe, we'll I'm start gonna, with you. I'm going to throw out a radical idea that unemployment will not stay high forever and that interest rates will not stay unsustainably low forever. And I know these are radical notions That's if crazy you watch talk. CNBC every day and you look at a lot of valuations of companies that are affected by that. But when you dig down a little bit, you'll see there's some really good opportunities there. So Paychex is a name that springs to mind where they're one of the biggest payroll process- <clears throat> processors in the U.S. And basically, the catalyst on the stock is a recovery in employment and higher interest rates because they collect interest on the funds they temporarily hold for clients. Now, it's yielding about 4.4%, recently raised its dividend for the first time in a couple years. Uh, Is the stock going gangbusters anytime soon? No. Is it paying a totally sustainable yield that blows away what you get in the savings account? Yeah, it is. And it'll keep growing. And eventually, (laughs) you are going to have that recovery in unemployment and and jobs. And interest rates are going to rise. And when it does, you get a nice bounce. All right. Bill Barker, an overlooked story in the financial media? Uh, you know, a couple colleagues uh, of mine in MFAM, uh, uh, Don Kruger and Tony Arsta, just came back from uh, Hong Kong and uh, reported that they, from what they see, you know, the, the slowdown in China about which uh, there are some seeming whispers out there is much more obvious, you know, if, if you've got feet on the ground out there and uh, that there's a real uh, likelihood that China is going to come to a, a much more of a screeching halt uh, in terms of, really? uh, you know, growth uh, at the, the levels that people have gotten used to. The eight, nine, ten percent levels are just uh, not going to happen uh, in the near future. Now, the near future might be two years, uh, but that is plenty of time uh, to start causing problems. If you look at, uh, you know, how early on that the slowdown in the housing market. Uh, was apparent here before the stock market really crashed. You're talking somewhere in the the realm of two years. Uh, you're talking about how long uh, it was obvious that Greece and other countries in Europe uh, were going to uh, not be able to pay their bills. Uh, that was that was known about two years ago. Uh, so I think that you're there is plenty of time to uh, process this, uh, but it's going to probably be overlooked. For a little while longer, we've talked uh, in this room before about the housing market in China, um, even uh, uh, sort of retail space. And when you look at uh, commercial real estate, and you know stories of malls essentially being completely empty, ghost town malls, that sort of thing. Um, 
the type of slowdown you're talking about, uh, is, is it reasonable to assume that those are the areas that are going to be hit harder than the more nimble, you know, online? You know, I'm just thinking about like companies we talk about like Baidu and Cinecorp, uh, you know, sort of the more online mobile players. It seems like they would be less affected than, you know, uh, if you had a uh, I don't know, uh, a China ETF, a basket of, of housing stocks or you know, real estate or something like that. Yeah, there will be some sectors that uh, are, are more affected than others. Certainly, the companies that sell uh, to the, the Chinese consumer uh, rather than are maybe building more infrastructure for yep. Uh, things around which there's already you know we need plenty another of, twenty lane highway yeah. to nowhere <laughs> exactly some of that thing that it, that are keeping people employed and is helping the GDP there but is not really getting used right away or in some cases at all uh, companies that are involved in those things and some of the real estate companies I think are going to see some real problems there and and things companies that are that are more on the export side because China's still low-cost producer of a lot of things that the rest of the world is going to keep buying, they're going to be in better shape. But what about these U.S. companies who, almost to, you know, to an individual, they are saying, well, China's a huge growth market for us. If, if there's this impending slowdown, this screeching halt you're talking about, then what are we to make of companies that are, you know, particularly like automakers who are talking about, oh yeah, China's going to be a huge market for us. I mean, Joe, you're a, you're a GM guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, what does that say to you? Well, I think a lot of that is just rhetoric from management teams because they're looking for a way to describe tangibly, like, here's a growth engine for us. And for all of them, it's easy to just say China because of its crazy growth that it's had. In reality, I think you're going to see most of these guys end up pulling out at some point or finding that it's nowhere near as successful as, you know, what they're hoping for a lot of reasons. The economy is obviously, Bill pointed out, is, you know, slowing down. It's got some headwinds. And, you know, in the Chinese state's very interested in protecting their own interests and only working with American companies where they have to. So if you're the CEO of the company whose stock you own is talking about the great growth opportunities in China, you should take that with a grain of salt or a pound of salt? Well, it totally depends. I mean, some of them have viable competitive positions. You look at a Coca-Cola, for example, and GM in its defense is the leading car maker there. Now, that said, um, you know, not everyone is in those positions. And just because GM's the leading car maker now, you know, it's a brutally competitive market. And I think that is going to change over, say, the next 10 years. You're going to see a lot of companies fail and pull out. I think GM will still be a player there, but they won't be the only one. And, you know, it'll remain a tough industry, um, just like automaking always has. It'll just be brutally there. Uh, yeah, I think you can't dismiss when they talk about their future growth or their present growth coming from China, because China itself doesn't need to grow its economy at all in some respects for a company that is coming into it and has very little of its business right now to find opportunities from 1.3, however many you know billion Chinese there are, that's that's five six times you know five times the, the U.S. you know consumer uh, number. So you if you if you are not yet highly dependent on China, then there's plenty of room to grow. I mean, the the economy there will continue to grow just. The models, when you factor in models where 8 or 9% growth is your projection for the next 10 years, and that slows to 5%, 
there are serious consequences to what you have you right. know, decided you are going to be able to do a few years down the line. This is a problem that is much more for, you know, the, the, the government of, of China than for, you know, U.S. investors. All right. Bill Barker, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.